good morning, Whitewater. You're awake. That's awesome. Josh, good to see you, man. Well, I'm so glad we're all here together. I know there's a lot of things that people can be doing um, on a day like this in the fall, but you guys uh, chose to be here. You guys are wanting to grow spiritually, get close to the Lord, or maybe have some questions answered to even consider faith. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to be praying that God would bless you for that. And um, we've been in this series called Harvest, and up to now we've really been looking at this, this reality that there's a Lord of the harvest who wants to bring a harvest of transformation in the lives of people. But to know how to like work for and work with the Lord of the Harvest, we have to hear his voice. So, so the last few uh, weeks have really been learning how to hear God's voice by reading the scriptures. We're learning how to hear God's voice um, through prayer, uh, through people. Last week we learned about how God speaks through people. And God speaks through all such situations, but there are some, some ones we th- see in scripture that are just so... Um, so, so important, they're like fundamental, and God is always speaking by his spirit through these things. And so the spirit is called the spirit of truth, not the spirit of selfishness, not the spirit of individuality, not the spirit of you know, materiality or consumption. Um, and the, the, we live in a world that's full of those things. You just you know, look at your smartphone, look, look at the TV, there's all sorts of things vying for your attention, saying that you are the most important thing that should have all your needs met all the time. And God wants to speak to you to, to raise your eyes and to lift our lives um, to something bigger, something he's intended us for. And so today we're going to be looking at how do we bring in the harvest? How do we do what God wants us to do? I was um, charged by my wife. My wife looked at me and said, George, you are in charge of getting the barbecue ready. You are going to barbecue the meat, which is manly. That's what men do. They barbecue <clears throat> And um, I was kind of new at it, so I was a little scared. And um, I'd never done it with, this, the, with charcoal before. Um, and so I, I had this new charcoal, little, little charcoal one. I just got this mini one just to practice. I want to get the big thing in case I wasn't very good at it. So I filled it with briquettes, and my wife would give me these instructions. You know, the people are coming this time. Here's the meat. This one it needs to be ready. She's got the plan. I'm supposed to do her will, what she wants. And so I'm trying my best, and I get the briquettes just, you know, fired up and hot. And... Um, I wasn't used to using this thing, and I, this uh, little uh, charcoal barbecue had a little cap on it. And when I went to grab and pull the cap off, I grabbed some of the metal and just burned, I mean, just sizzled my hand. I was like, ah! And so I threw the cap onto the ground over here, and then I started trying to cut the meat and put it over here, but I hadn't realized that, that we had a lot of dry pine needles on the ground where I'd thrown the burning hot uh, cap to the barbecue. And all of a sudden, like, I'm, I threw the meat on, all of a sudden I smelled the, this burning. And it's not a good, like, meat burn. Like, that smells great. But it was, the, it was the smell of, like, rotted and dry pine needles burning. And I just was like, oh, it was black, purple smoke. I was like, oh, no. And so I went to grab it off, the, and I forgot I'd burned my, so I burned my other hand, and I threw it on some rocks. I'm like, ah, both my hands are burned. You know, the meat's starting to burn. Everything's burning. And then, like, Sarah comes out with the company, and they're there. And, you know, nothing's ready. And she's just looking. She's like, what? in the world are you doing? And I, I was just like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing at this point. Like, I, and she was like, you need to fix it. The people are here. And you know, I, I was paralyzed. You know, where do I start? The meat's burnt. This is burnt. The, I'm still stomping out the flames that have started in my yard. Um, and you know, our guests are laughing at me. I mean, the barbecue was, everything was burned. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there's just so much trouble going on and you're just like, how do I handle it? And you just feel paralyzed by all the stuff going on. 
I think we live in a time full of trouble. Jesus said this in in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. He was really honest. He was very real with his disciples. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. How many of you guys can agree with that? In this world, you've had trouble. I mean, there's family troubles. There's uh, there's neighborhood troubles. Those Those aren't fun. There's, you know, like, you know, the... HOA board troubles, those are really not fun. Um, there's marriage troubles, that's the worst. Um, there's just troubles going on. We have a world that's full of trouble. And a lot of people, I think today in our day and age, they feel the trouble more than ever because of, well, lots of different things. I mean, um, uh, all the social media just hits us so quickly, all the things that are going on. And there's so much tragedy. There's so much brokenness. There's so much trouble in this world. I mean, uh, we had s- someone at our last service who knows people who, who have loved ones who were, who were um, um, murdered in the Cascade Mall shooting. I mean, this, where our country is in trouble. And there's racial tensions in our country. We, if people want to ignore it, they can try to ignore it, but there's racial Tensions, wouldn't you agree? There's trouble in our country with that. There's political trouble, and a lot of these things are interconnected. And I think there's a, there is an um, angst in people because Jesus said, and you will have trouble. We, we live in a broken world. John 3, 16 and 17 said, it says that God saw the world, and for God loved the world so much that he sent his son so that anybody who would believe in him wouldn't die, wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. And John 17, uh, 3.17 gets forgotten. It says that Jesus does not, did not come to judge the world. He came to what? To save the world. Let's remember. He didn't come to judge it, but to save it. And it's so important that we remember that. And we live in trouble. So in all this trouble, in all this world, when we look out at it, it can be paralyzing. And then we who would decide to follow Jesus, we who would be like seeds sent into the earth, to experience brokenness and death and bring life. Remember we learned this last week? That we are sent into the world like Jesus to do God's will, to know his voice. It says that his sheep, the ones who follow Jesus, his disciples, know his voice and they follow him. That means that we know what God wants. We know his voice and we understand what God's doing in the world and we want to join him. We want to do what God wills us to do. But how do we do it when we feel paralyzed and there's so much trouble? How do we do God's will when there's so much trouble? That's the question I want to be answering today. There's this um, story in John chapter 4 we're going to be looking at to answer that question, how to do what God wants, how to do what God wills in our life when there's so much trouble and we feel paralyzed. How do we do that? Well, there's this story in John chapter 4. It's been, this story has been like a... Um, it's been an identity for our church. It's about this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets. And to, we're not going to tell the whole story. We're actually going to jump right into the middle of it because I think there's something that really, really important happens in the middle of the story with Jesus' disciples and the Samaritan woman. But at the start of the story, Jesus sees this woman 
at the well and he's like, what's going on here? And she's alone and that means she's probably been rejected and she's an outcast from her village uh, because of something in her life that people are, don't like or embarrassed about. That's a, there's a stigma. And so Jesus begins talking with her, um, treating her like a real human. He, and he, he doesn't care about the barriers that other people care about. He doesn't care that she's a Samaritan, that, that this is the ethnic enemy of the Jews. The Samaritans were their enemies. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that the rest of the world at that time sees women as proper. They see woman is not someone to socialize with. Jesus doesn't care, and he starts a conversation with her. He doesn't care about like some of the sin issues that she has in her life. She's had all these men she's been with, all these husbands, and the man she's currently uh, with isn't even her husband. And that could be uh, due to her decisions, or it could be because the culture that she's in uh, had, a, had a cycle of abuse that just used women. We don't know, but there's pain in her life. And Jesus sees it, but doesn't reject her. He accepts her. There's this radical acceptance of who she is. And Jesus begins talking to her that she can, work, she can have eternal life, like life to the full, that she can believe in him, in him, that he's actually the Messiah, that she can worship and know God in a way that, 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 that most people don't know him. And she is just blown away by it. All these things. And at this moment, the disciples come back from her village to meet Jesus. They've, they've gone in to bring some bread, to get some food for Jesus. So picking up in John chapter 4, it says this. Um, John f- chapter 4, verse 27. Just then the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? When they see her, they see trouble. When they see her, they see a sinner. When they see her, they see someone you shouldn't be talking to. That's not worth your time, Jesus. And it says in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Stopping there, do you think the woman picked up the sense of judgment and condemnation and rejection from the disciples? Like, isn't it true that judgment, rejection, like we, we pick up on that before we, anyone says anything, don't we? People can pick up on that. Whether it's ethnic rejection, there's some, some racial thing that's going on. It, stuff doesn't even have to be said. It's just that people pick up on it. The attitudes, the posture of people. Uh, maybe, maybe there's gender uh, tensions. Maybe there's gender rejection. There's uh, things going on between men and women. It, it's picked up. Maybe there's family uh, rejection, family judgment and conduct. You can, you can sense it in the room. I mean, you can slice through judgment like a, like a knife in a room because you can feel it. You can feel the, the environment of it. She probably knows. But check this out. It says the woman goes, leaves her jar of water, runs back, and it says that she runs back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did, who knows the worst part parts of my life. He told me everything I ever did, but he didn't leave me like all the other men. He didn't abandon me. He didn't reject me. He accepted me for who I was. This is a totally new experience for her. And she goes and she has to tell her whole village, could he possibly be the Messiah? Isn't it interesting in a moment where there's rejection, that acceptance and grace and love overpower the feelings of rejection? Have you ever had someone, I mean, maybe there's a, a group of people who have denied and rejected or judged or condemned you, and someone comes up and says, no, 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 they got it wrong. Like, you are, you are worth loving, or you are, you're in, you're, you're with me. Doesn't that overpower the rejection in the moment? See, that's what God loves to do. 
And I don't care if you're experiencing rejection and you're in 7th or 8th grade just because of social things or there's some major stuff going on in your life right now and you're an adult and you're struggling with it. When God's grace comes into your life, that's worth talking about, right, friends? And so in this moment, she runs back, tells her friends in the village and probably enemies, people who don't like her. And so the people, it says, come streaming from the village to see Jesus. Meanwhile, in verse 31, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. They're like, don't even care. This woman's run back. They're like, yeah, she, she needed to go away. She was trouble. Jesus, do you want to eat something? But Jesus, irritated, I think I could say, replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. He's a little bugged. I, like, I, know, I, I have a food you guys know nothing about. And the disciples are like, did, uh, did someone bring him some food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other, did someone bring him some food? Hey, you know, John, Peter, did you guys bring him some, did some You guys see anybody? Did she bring him some food? Food? And they're just missing the point. The irony is that the disciples thought the woman was trouble, but really they're being trouble for Jesus. Like, he's kind of irritated. Let's, let's see why. Then Jesus explained My nourishment or my bread that I really want comes from doing the will of my Father. It's from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. God has sent me to do some work. Not to judge the world, but to what? Save it. That is the work that Jesus has been sent to do. So what is Jesus' purpose? to know and do his father's will. It's to do what God wants him to do. Just like, just like me, I was, supposed to, I was supposed to make a barbecue. That was my purpose. But I, I was having some struggles and all these fires started popping up. How do we do God's will when there's all these fires that start popping up in our lives? How do we do his will? How do we know his will? How do we not miss it like the disciples? And here, and this is even more importantly, this question is, what is God's overarching will? We learned, you know, through scripture and through prayer and through people, circumstances, worship, moments like this where we're, where we're learning from the word together and there's preaching of the word going on that we can hear from the Lord for specific things that God wants in our life. Maybe there's a moment where you're, you know, like, I need to forgive this person or I need to ask for forgiveness or I need to go just talk with this person or I need to invite them to this thing. You know, we, we can get those senses from the Lord and we can read scripture and know that, hey, God wants me to do this and not this. But there's an overarching will that is in all of the scriptures and Jesus comes as the fulfillment. He, he comes as like the big signpost saying, this is the overarching message of the good news of God. This is your overarching purpose. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, how lack of talent you think you have or how talented you think you are or how, if you're too good or you're not good enough. Like this is what God wants you to know and experience. And it's found... In the verse 35 and 36, it says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, Jesus says, I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe with harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to, to harvest where you didn't plant, and others had already done the work. Now, you will get to, ha- to gather the harvest. Other people did the work, but you are going to get 
to have the work of bringing the harvest. So what is God's overarching will for our lives as the people of God? Or if you would follow Jesus, what would his will be in your life? There's all sorts of things God wants you to do, but there is an overarching purpose. And it's found in that verse 35 and 36. It says in the middle of 35, but I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. You are to be the harvesters. You are to be the workers with God to bring in his harvest. What is the harvest? It says the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is what? People brought to eternal life. You and I, when we follow Jesus, are, are brought into our father's business. We become apprentices in his workshop. We become apprentices. We become farmhands. We become harvesters in his harvest. And the harvest is bringing eternal life. God does the changing of hearts, but we do somehow do the work with him. And I think that's incredible. We miss it so, so often. We gather in the harvest. We help people find redemption. We help people find forgiveness. We help people see the Father's heart. Not religion, but a relationship with Him. We help people see that. And it's so easy to miss the Father's heart. And I don't want us to miss it. So how do we do that? How are we good harvesters? How do we know God's will, but then actually do it? I think so many times we know what to do, but we're afraid to do it. Or we're paralyzed by all the fires and the trouble in the world. We might have all sorts of insecurities and excuses. And we will know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. And friends, we can't miss this one. Jesus said, I I was sent not to judge the world, but to save the world. He is on a mission to redeem and to recreate a world that is broken and on fire and troubled. And you and I are the change agents. So here's the first thing I think that's super important in this passage to know how we bring in the harvest. The first thing is wake up and look around for the ripe fields. That's in your notes. Wake up. And look around for ripe fields. In verse 35, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe with harvest. And the disciples are missing it. They're not seeing the reality. They see this woman and they see trouble. They're kind of like Eeyore's. Like this woman at the well, she's a bother. She's in the way. We've got a mission. We're, We're here to bring Jesus some bread. We're here to bring them some bread. And all they see is this racial barrier and the gender barrier and the sin barrier and the history barrier, culture barrier, all these barriers that just say, I'm not going to spend time with this. We need to get Jesus some bread. But notice this. Disciples go to the the village, same village as, as the woman is from, and they bring back what to Jesus? Bread. Is Jesus super stoked about that? Like, yes, thank you. What does the woman goes back to the village? What does she bring? What does she bring? People. People. How long has she known Jesus? 30 minute conversation? She brings people. She goes and shares her story. She brings people. She, she gets this. She's like, she's woken up. She sees what's really going on. She sees that there's other people that need to hear this, there's other people that need to meet Jesus. Like, it's urgent. And I think sometimes God, like God needs to look into our life and sometimes doesn't. He says, wake up. Like I, I, I used to, in my senior year of high school, I was so bad at waking up. I would, uh, I would go to sleep late and, you know, I had senioritis and I didn't really care about my classes as much. And I was doing football and track. And my dad would have to come in and be like, you know, they, my alarm would be set and I'd hit it and snooze, snooze, snooze. And I'd just keep sleeping. And my dad would finally come in and he's like, wake up. 
wake up, George. And he'd you know, get real close, wake up, like next to my face. He's very beardy. It was like Gimli, it was terrifying. Bedlians are, you know, dangerous of a short distance. And um, for those Lord of the Rings fans. And uh, he'd just be like, wake up. I'd get up and I'd be like adrenaline, start pumping and I'd get up. He's like, it's, it's mandated by the government. It's mandated by your family. Get up and get to school. I think God wants to say to us, today, wake up. Like, look at the fields that are ripe. Look at what God's doing. Remember the purpose. And so often, we're like trying to bring Jesus bread. We're trying to bring God bread. And we mean well, and it could be really good. And I mean, like, what's the bread of our life that we bring Jesus that's a good thing, but it's not the great thing that we're called to do sometimes? I mean, reading the Bible is not bad. That's how we hear from the Lord. But sometimes we can become so interested in reading the Bible that we forget that we're supposed to accomplish the purposes of the Bible. And so we bring Jesus bread. Like, you know, I'm reading your bread that you give me, Jesus. I'm going to bring you some bread. Or we get so interested in programs, church programs, and religious uh, activities, and, we at- and attendance, and our attendance was really good, and, and those are great things. And maybe we have incredible worship. I think we got incredible worship at Whitewater. But if all we had was incredible worship, if all we had was some programs and community groups where people came and met, high-fived each other, you know, and then read the word a little bit and said, all right, check that and we never were a part of bringing people from a village, from a community, from a neighborhood, from a network into the world of Christ and into redemption to experience new life, eternal life and belief. If we never did that, we'd be missing it. Our worship, our reading of the Bible, and our communities would be meaningless if we're not accomplishing the purpose of God. Can I get an amen? Are you with me? And those things, community, Bible, worship, they help us know God's heart. They help us remember God's heart. But we have to bring people to him. What is the purpose of all this? What is the purpose of, like today, guys, we had people come in early because we rent this this space. There was a party here and someone forgot to, to clean up. And we needed people to come help clean up. So people got up early, pitched in and cleaned this up. Was it just so that we could uh, gather, high-five each other? No, so we can bring people in. That we could have our hearts warmed again. And you know, after church, you ever have that? Like during the week, your heart sometimes grows cold or you get busy and things start to just suck the life out of you. And, the, and, and church is a place where we get redeemed and forgiven and, and the vision of, of what God wants us to do with our lives is given to us again and again. This is a place to bring others to belong before they believe. They don't have to clean up their lives. They don't have to get everything perfect. They can come in and experience God and discover Him. And so we come and we clean this building. We set it up. And so we come and volunteer and we greet people at the doors. And so we come, we volunteer, and we wave a, you know, a, a big you know, neon yellow noodle to let people know that they come in here where we wear vests and we, we watch kids and we help, and we help kids find Christ and we help families and people and the, the lost sons and daughters of God come and find a home. This is why we gather. We need to bring people, wake up. And a word on the ripe fields. A word on this. What are the ripe fields? It's people who are receptive to Jesus. People who are receptive to you. 
their neighbors, their co-workers, their people who are receptive. They, 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 they're willing to talk with you. They're willing to build a relationship with you. You know, so often we can spend time on people that have no interest and we just spend all our time there. God doesn't say stop praying for them. He says move to the people who are ready. Their hearts are open. That is a ripe field. And often it's not just a person, but it's a, a person who represents a whole no- network of people. That one woman met with Jesus for 30 minutes or whatever, one conversation, it changed her life. She runs back and is the gatekeeper to a whole village who see a change in her, someone that they least expected it in, and they have to go see who, who this man is. Be praying for receptive people, for like Samaritan like the Samaritan woman, people who are ready to hear, ready to have the conversation because they could be the key to a whole community of people finding Christ. And we're the ones who bring them in. Number two, here's the other one. I think it's very, very important. Bring people to come and see Jesus. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran, not like walked and took her time. She, it was urgent. Let's get, I gotta tell my story. I gotta tell people about Jesus. And she, and she tells who? Just, just the people she likes, just her family. She tells who? Who? Everyone. I want to make sure we get that. She tells everyone. How can you tell if people are receptive? How can you tell if they're ready? How can you tell if their hearts are open? If you don't have a conversation with them, if you don't start talking with them, if you don't start engaging them. We, we are called, like the Samaritan woman, to be a true disciple like she was that day. To tell everyone. To tell our stories. This is who I was. This happened to me. I met God. I'm not the same man I was. I'm not the same woman I was. I don't know how to explain it, but that's my story. Or maybe just having a conversation with someone who's got questions and saying, well, I'd love to talk to you about those. Maybe it's with just starting a conversation to become friends with somebody. Maybe it's just an invitation. Why don't you come and see why don't you come and see what's going on in my church? You can come. You should come and see. My daughter, the other day, we're, we're handing out flyers. Some friend of ours, the Lindahls, were hosting a neighborhood movie night. And as they were hosting it, we, we wanted to have people come, so we knew we needed to get invitations out. So me and Novella went around. I was pushing her in, in the cart, and we were inviting our neighbors to come to the movie night. It's going to be fun. People are going to get connected. I'm really hoping that there's kingdom of God stuff. That, like People are connected, and God shows up, and... All those cool things. And um, we're handing this out and we're getting to the last home. And I'm pushing my daughter and there's just a few flyers left. And my daughter looks up and she says, Dad, if I'm, if I'm going to come, you better, get, you better give me one of those too. You better give me an invitation. And it was just so, I mean, simple but so true. Like she felt like I'm handing all these invitations to all these people. Maybe she's not invited. She wanted to make sure she could come to the party. I'm like, Novella, you're my, you're anything we do, you're, you have to come. Like, you have no choice, really. We might pretend there's a choice, but there's no choice. But isn't that true? Is it, is it possible that some of our friends want to be invited into your community, into your faith community, in, onto a Sunday like this, or into your community group, or into your life, into your spiritual life? Is it possible that they've never brought it up, or they would never say anything, but, but, but by not being invited, you know, directly, you, you, not being invited, saying, hey, I think you would like to come. You know, I, there's, there's this thing that's happening in my church. I think it would be great for you. I think it would be awesome. I'd love to have you there. No pressure. 
I'd love to have you be involved. I'd love to have you come. Some, I, we've got a community group that meets. It's just, it's mellow. We have fun. We eat. We talk about life. You know, come. I think you'd love it. And if we don't invite people and give them in, that invitation, might they be feeling that we have judged them and, and that, that, that maybe we think they're not worthy of coming to our church? Is it possible that all they want is an invitation? That all they want is for you to directly come? You know, you don't have to, but I want you to come. Well, a few weeks later, they come. Is it possible that things are going on in their life that are outside of their control and that God is speaking to their heart and they need a direct invitation? Come and see. So often I think that people can feel like maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe that's why I haven't been invited. Are there, who are the people in your life that God has brought to you to bring to him? Who are the faces that come to mind? Who are the hearts? Who are the souls? Notice in verse 36, it says, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. The reason we invite, the reason we bring people to Jesus, the reason we are a part of this whole thing is that we get to see transformation. We get to see it. It's like right in front of us. In fact, this is on your notes as well. Now is the time to bring in the harvest. We get to experience joy, deep joy, when we see transformation. How many of you guys have seen someone transformed by the power of the gospel? How many of you guys have seen someone go from addiction to freedom? How many of you guys have seen somebody who needed forgiveness in their life find forgiveness? Are they the same person? We are in the business of transformation. We see that. It gives us joy. That is the Father's heart. Is the joy that he experienced seeing you find him and have a relationship and believe and have eternal life is the joy he has for the world. He sent his son so that the world, so that everybody might know him. Do you know that after, in almost every country, after a harvest is brought in, and this has been over the ages, after a harvest is brought in, there is a celebration, there is a party, there is joy because there's life. Now is the time to bring in the harvest. Verse 38 says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others already had done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. The harvest is now. So often we think, oh, it's in the future. No, it's, it, it's, it, you know, it's another day. Imagine if a farmer had a whole harvest, a whole crop come in and then he just was like, eh, I'll do it next year. No, that's death for his family. That, that, that is... That's horrible. No farmer in his right mind would do that. If the, it's harvest time when the harvest is ready. And guys, the harvest is now. Never has there been a, a time I've experienced where there is more angst, where there is more trouble in the world, where there's more, like it just feels like a, a powder keg ready to go off at any moment because of all the divides, ethnic, racial, gender, po- uh, political family, personal, spiritual, and all these things are a spiritual issue. And there's trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. But, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. And some of you guys got to hear that. There's trouble in the world. There's all the things we've mentioned. All, there's all these fires starting up in our world and in your world. And it can be so hard to, to, to even feel motivated to do what God wants you to do, to be a part of the harvest of seeing eternal life and bringing people to Jesus because we're scared. We don't know what to do. We're focused on the wrong things. We're bringing Jesus bread. We're doing all the wrong stuff. And, and my life is messed up. What can I really do? Jesus empowers his disciples to do whatever he's asked them to do. Do you believe that God can use your life to change someone else's life? Do you believe that God can speak through you to see people experience eternal life? He does it. There's all sorts of trouble, but it says Jesus has overcome the world. And here's the final thing you need to know. He has overcome the world. The the world is just is just catching up to what Jesus has overcome. Like, think about the world that we have that's full of injustice, and Jesus, through the cross, brought justice. He overcame injustice with justice. There was violence, and Jesus overcame the violence by, by not acting violently and letting the world put him on a cross so that his Father could give them life. In a world that wants to be us against them, Jesus defeated that mentality by being us for the world, God for this world that hated him. In a world that had sin and brokenness and trouble, Jesus absorbed the trouble, absorbed the sin, absorbed the brokenness into himself, removing it so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Jesus has overcome. We live in a world that is needing hope, that is hurting for hope, looking for hope. And and Jesus has overcome. He's the good news. It's not in the politics. It's not in all these things where we're going to find hope. There can be temporary things and some things that we do are good. But ultimately, the hope of the world is found in the forgiveness and transformation of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to let you know, this coming fall... I know people are going to be looking for hope. I know people are going to be looking for new life. You know, in this last year, we've had so many people find Jesus, so many people baptized. And so many people come forward after finding the hope of Jesus. And they said to me, George, I've, um, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I deserve it. I've got, I've got addiction or I've got this hurt. I've got this thing. I've got these family members. I've got this mess. Like my life is this hairball of trouble. I don't know if I can do it. I don't even know if I deserve to be a disciple. And I'm like, this is a place. Jesus was, the, was God incarnate, God in the flesh, telling the world, you are messed up, but I accept you, and then I'm going to work with you, and we're going to clean you up, and we're going to help you find hope. And guys, in, in October, this is a season, for whatever reason, we are in a season, I think, of harvest. I know people are looking for this, and we're going to do a, a sermon series called Leave It in Egypt, where we're going we're gonna to be talking about how we leave the things we thought would save us that actually enslaved us, ad- addicted us, the hurts and hang-ups that we have about faith and God and people and maybe hurts from the past. We're going to be learning how do we let those go and we're going to give the gospel, the good news to people who need to hear it. And your friends need to hear it. And there are people in your life that you won't want to miss this. So I want to tell you, in two weeks, October 9th, bring your friends. Be praying about who God has put in your life. Who are at the well and you need to see them. And they might be the key to a whole community finding faith. We're making that, we want to partner with you and make it really easy to bring someone. It's going to be incredible. 
Be praying about it. Be praying for those people. And do what God wants you to do. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. So thankful for you. God, would you, would you be laying people on our hearts? Maybe there's, there's faces and there's souls that, that, are, that we are thinking of right now that we know need you, Lord. We know that they need freedom from addiction. We know that, they, that they're overwhelmed with trouble. We know that there's people that are just looking for hope where the world has none to offer. Not, not hope that, that heals their soul. And they're looking for hope. And Lord, we want to be a church that doesn't confirm the thought that, oh, the church doesn't have anything for the world. We want to be your church, the church that brings hope and that brings people to Jesus, that brings people into your grace. We want to be a, a, a church that, that flips the world upside down, that turns hearts around, that transforms people. We want to be a part of bringing in your harvest. Would you help us do this? In Jesus' name, amen.